Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Matthew chapter 8 in our Bibles, Matthew chapter 8, and we are working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. We need his view more than ever in this day and age. We need his view, what he thinks. I want his opinions. I want to know what he has to say about topics and issues of life. We hear opinions from everybody in the world and we forget to look at what he has said. Going back to what he has said. And that's what the series is all about. Working through the book of Matthew, if you're just joining us, you should know that this is one of the gospels. And it is a, the story of Jesus. The most comprehensive of the four gospels has the most information, the most stories, the most teachings right here in the text. And that's why I chose to go through it because I want Jesus' full worldview in one complete gospel. As we work through this text, as we work through the scriptures, we always go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. What? Sounds like it's going to take forever to get through. Yes, it might. But we do it so that we don't miss anything. You know, if I just picked my favorite 10 topics to talk about, you would hear that about four or five times. You get tired of it real quick. But this, when I teach through the Bible, through the text, it forces me to talk about things oftentimes I don't want to talk about. It forces me to go into topics that maybe I would never touch on. And now we get a full comprehensive view of Jesus, his teachings, and what God thinks about what's going on on the earth. This is sermon number 36 through the book of Matthew. The title of the message is Jesus, our healer. Jesus, our healer. Heard of a pastor. Maybe you heard of him too. He was visiting a new parishioners of the church. He went to one door and rang the doorbell and there was no response, so he rang it again. He could see there was a light on and again, still no response. He went around to see what was going on and noticed that there was a radio on in the back and there was a light on as well. There was some music going on. This is strange, he thought, still no answer. So he decided just to leave a note. And he wrote Revelation 3 verse 20. It came to mind and he wrote a little note saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with them and eat with them and they with me. He thought this was clever verse and he put it in the mailbox and walked away. The following Sunday, his note was found in the offering box with his verse, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, but under it a reply. Genesis 3.10 I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid, for I was naked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just a joke. Today we will see three stories of healing. We will see our Lord and King as healer. We will see his compassion and non-bias towards people. He meets everyone right where they're at. He ministers to them right where they're at with no bias. It's incredible. Jesus loves and serves everyone with the same level of concern. Did you know that? 
Even that person that I don't like in the church? Yes. Whether answering the non-believer or loving on the broken outcast or spending time with those Jews, Jesus crosses all barriers. He spends time with even his own people who won't come to believe in him. Amazing. Jesus would be, you would think, not spending time with the enemy, not hanging out with people that don't like him. But in actuality, he takes time even with those who have difficult questions. Last week we were on vacation. It was my birthday. Thank you. And uh, we had a good time. We went up to Big Sur, and I remember we were checking in, going camping with the fam, and we're checking in, and this guy at the counter, we're talking, chatting it up, and before you know it, he asked me um, what I do, because we had been talking about surfing. He had a stand-up paddleboard on his, on his roof there, and, and uh, I said, well, um, I uh, oversee a church, you know, in Studio City. He's like, what? Are you a pastor? I said, yeah. And then he goes off. Well, I, I used to be a Christian. I used to love God, but now I'm an atheist. He said, the reason is, is because I asked some pastors some deep, heavy questions, and they couldn't answer me. They said, I don't know. So I started to conclude that there is no God, and he doesn't love me. I said, really? Could feel him fishing for a conversation, obviously. I said, okay, let's talk. We proceed to have a conversation for about 15, 20 minutes there, in which I could see his face almost changing. He was so angry. And I was explaining the existence of God and breaking down how it's absolutely impossible and foolish and illogical to think that there isn't a designer and a creator behind all of this. Don't you see all the information in the world? Open your eyes. Zoom in on a leaf. Zoom in on a bug. So much information. Information always comes from a mind. How did you miss that? Just magically shows up? No one would ever conclude this. So angry and he wants to go into the problem of evil. Then he wants to go into morality, talk about the moral lawgiver. He said, people can just kill each other just like the animal kingdom. They can rape and pillage and steal, and they're not guilty for anything. We're all just animals, right? Survival of the fittest, baby. Or Hitler was wrong because there is a God who has said it is wrong to kill another human being, and he's put that in our hearts. After all, weren't they just obeying the law? The law of their nation. They were not guilty according to the law of their nation. Thus, they needed a higher law. We broke this down, and by the end of it, he was so angry, so mad at me. He says, I've never met anybody who really loves God. And I said, hey, Pete, I love God. And he changed my life. And I said, Pete, I'm sorry that there's so many pastors who have messed it up for you. But you need to look to God. You need to look to Jesus. You need to come into relationship with him. You know why he sent me to the campgrounds today to come camp up here in Big Sur? It's to come and tell you that God loves you. I see him step back and I said, Pete, I love these kind of conversations. I'm not mad at you. This is what I do. This is my life. 
So I'm stoked to be able to talk with you. I hope you catch some waves. I hope you have a blast. If you see me around the campground, come say what's up. I think he stepped back, then some older lady interrupted us, said, you guys are in deep conversation, aren't you? <laughs> yes. But it reminded me again that Jesus, as I was reading through this text, Jesus takes time with people who approach him. And we're busy here in LA, man, but we got to get back to doing this. God is giving you opportunities time and time again in this city, but we got other stuff to do. We're not about our father's business. Jesus would hang out and talk with those that you think are the enemy. Did you know that? He would go to them. Doesn't matter what the enemy and what their stance is, their cultural views, their political views, their, their wrong views. He would go to them and sit down with them and would we be saying, what is he doing hanging out with those sinners over there? Would we be the ones? Why aren't we the ones in there? He challenges all people with his presence. He might even heal or bless the person you think is an enemy. What would you do then? He does what we would never do. Love our neighbor with perfect, pure motive. And that is what compels us to him. Romans 2.4, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you, Paul says? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? When we see him be kind, when we watch him in the text today, it will draw us closer into relationship with him because we want this. And family, if we truly want this, we have to extend that hand to other people in this way in L.A. Jesus quotes this passage today in our text, Isaiah 53. He quotes it. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. We esteem him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed, Matthew quotes. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. It's found in our text today. The great words of the prophet Isaiah is brought up in the picture of healing today. Matthew chapter 8 in our Bibles, verses 1 through 17, can we stand for the reading of God's word? We stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose words we're reading. Verse 1 says, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Verse 5, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, 
I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who follow him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done as you have said and as you have believed. The servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illness and bore our diseases. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for these pictures. And we pray that you would open our eyes to receive your goodness and grace, your healing touch once again today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus has just finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, and the crowds have grown. He's sitting right there in the Galilee on the side of the hill, preaching and teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 1 says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, here it is, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord... If you will, you can make me clean. First thing to notice is a leper approaches Jesus. What is a leper? Leprosy, also known as Hansen's disease, is a long-term infection that leads to damage of the nerves, the skin, and the eyes. This nerve Damage may result in a lack of ability to feel pain, which can lead to the loss of parts of a person's extremities from repeated injuries or infection due to unnoticed wounds. The disease in Jesus' day was completely incurable. And people would lose their eyesight and feeling in parts of their bodies, and if they fell or broke a bone or cut off a finger or touched the fire with their hand or with their foot they wouldn't know it because they can't feel it. And they would have cuts and sores and rashes all over their body and the voice of a person would start to become raspy and change. And they would be alienated from society because this disease is highly contagious. By simply touching a leper, you will become a leper. Never touch a leper. Is leprosy still around in this day? Yes, it is. Leviticus 13, verse 45, the law of Moses spoke of leprosy in this way. Those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. As long as the serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonial unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. If a person got leprosy, they had a death sentence and a life of isolation with other lepers. So sad. 
So the leper had to dress in like dirty clothes, was not able to groom themselves, literally had to look like a monster and shout out unclean as they were coming through a crowd or coming in contact with another crowd. So they were now outcasts in society. They had to live out there with the other lepers of the city. With all of this in mind, this leper makes his way through the crowd and comes to Jesus and falls on his knees before him and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He calls Jesus Lord in belief. If you will, not if you can, if you will, he knows Jesus can. The leper just wants to know if he will. Please, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean, only you. A pure acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord and healer. A broken and contrite spirit before the Lord. This man is so poor in spirit, he has nothing. He brings himself to Jesus and in pure belief on his knees, this says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So powerful. So amazing. The crowd must have froze. I'm surprised the disciples aren't right there telling the leper to get back. Get away from the Lord, you dirty person. Get away. Why didn't you yell unclean as you came up here? Are you nuts? Get out of here. What does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? Verse 3. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I love this so much. Jesus does the one thing, the one thing, the one thing no one would ever do, touch a leper. He reaches out his hand and he touches the leper. I wonder what his disciples must have been thinking. Lord, what are you doing? He places his hands on the man's head. The crowd must have thought he was crazy. Then he answers and says, I will heal you. Be clean. This leper had not been hugged, no pat on the back, no handshakes, no high fives, no arm around the shoulder, no kiss on the cheek in years. And Jesus, just like that, reaches out and touches him at his request. Jesus is the first one to touch him in years. And the text says immediately his leprosy was cleansed. My dad used to sing an old Baptist song when something like, he touched me, he touched me, he touched me and made me whole. Touched my life and made me whole. His, lep his leprosy is cleansed immediately, gone forever, kingdom atmosphere. You're in the presence of the king who rules the kingdom of heaven and you have asked him the proper request and you have believed that he can do it. And he looks down and says, 
Watch this, crowd. Let me show you the kingdom. The one that none of you will touch. The one that you have made an enemy. The one that you won't talk to. The one that you won't spend time with. I will touch him. I will hug him. I will heal him. I will cleanse him, not only physically, but spiritually. He will be saved. He will be in the kingdom with me. Who knows how many years this man had been sick and diseased and isolated, but in one moment he was healed and made whole again by Jesus. Point number one, if you want to take notes, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. This is the cry of the Christian heart. Lord, you alone can make me clean. If you are willing, great king, please make me whole. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Make me new. We are the leper, diseased spiritually. We need healing from the Lord Jesus. We are the one who alienates pushes away an outcast, leper. We are the one who does not take the time. We are the one diseased. This is the gospel. Jesus touched me and made me whole. He has taken our infirmities and given us healing. He has taken our sin and made us alive in him. Do you believe it? And it's amazing. We were the ones sick and diseased. And he took time with us when no one else would. He took the time to heal us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. According to Leviticus 5.3, I love this quote from Arquette Hughes, Jesus becomes unclean the moment he touches the leper. Yet by means of his healing touch, it is as if he transcended the law without abolishing it. Jesus' touch doesn't make Jesus unclean, rather it cleanses the unclean. He's breaking the Mosaic law. You can't touch a leper, every Jew knows this. But because he is the healer, because he is the writer of the law, he cleanses him as the high priest. He makes him whole. He does not abolish it. He fulfills it perfectly. Psalm 65, 3, when iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. We are the lepers outside the temple wishing that we could go inside, but we can't because we're ceremonially unclean. But then Jesus makes a way. He tears the veil in half. He opens the court doors and says, get in here. I am the Lamb of God. My blood has washed you clean. Get in the temple. Get in here and worship. But Lord, I'm unclean. I'm a leper. Spiritually, he says, oh no. You have now been healed. You have now been made clean. Get in here and worship. Come close to me. This is the Lord we serve. This is what he is doing for this man. 
Notice what Jesus says to him after he is healed. Verse 4, Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, <laughs> but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. A proof. He says, don't tell anybody what happened. All I want you to do is get to the priest and you just show them. You are the proof that Messiah is here. Say nothing to no one. Why? Jesus didn't want the word to get out about him too fast. He had much to do before he was crucified and rose from the dead. He was about his father's business. I love this. Jesus so often could have done things that would have absolutely caused his followers to gain by the tens of thousands so fast. He suppresses it. It would be like somebody being completely healed. Let's say they were paralyzed since they were a kid and somebody you know, gets healed here at the church. We lay hands on them, we pray for them. They start walking around. Everybody has known them as somebody who's paralyzed. And we say, don't tell anybody. What? Don't tell anybody. Jesus had a different plan. Jesus wasn't just trying to gain surface followers or people. He was after something else. He was about his father's business. He tells the man, if you believe in me, now listen to my words. Walk in obedience to what I tell you. Don't tell anybody what has happened. Go and show yourself to the priests and the law of, as the law of Moses says to do so and then make an offering while walk in obedience of the word of God, the Old Testament law of Moses. He tells him to do this. Amazing. They were still under Jewish law. Jesus was still fulfilling and walking in the law of Moses. It was not till after the resurrection in which we were freed from the law. And so in obedience, they were still walking in it. Let's look at our next story. Verses 5 to 13. He's just healed the leper, and now Matthew changes the narrative just like that. He's trying to show something. Matthew is stacking these stories, trying to show us something. Look at verses 5 to 13. It says, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Stop there. Jesus next shows up at a little town called Capernaum. You can still visit it today. It sits right on the Sea of Galilee. I've had the privilege of being there many times. Walked in that little town lots of times. I can see in my mind's eye the town entrance and then the synagogue there. I can see Peter's house. They built a giant uh, UFO saucer over it, it looks like. It's a church, the Catholic church, over. And you literally duck down and look under this flying saucer type thing and you see uh, Peter's home there. Peter's family's home. You can go visit. Maybe we'll go visit together. We were trying to do trips to Israel. We've already done one. We'll do another one in the future. You want to go? Let's go. Okay, we'll go together. Yeah, we need some vacation, don't we? And we need to go. Uh, we'll go again. Um, we'll probably go within the next year, year and a half. Um, and so once it is planned, we'll get it on the calendar and you can save your pennies and we'll get there, okay? Um, we love these trips. It's a joy. Matthew tells us a centurion makes his way to this little Jewish town to find Jesus. It sits right on the Sea of Galilee. Like the town, you just look to your right, or depending on where you're standing, but you can see the Sea of Galilee right there. It's all in the same area. 
right? He, he spoke the Sermon on the Mount not far from there as well, right in the hills. So he literally just walked down the hill to um, Capernaum, and then the centurion is now following him into the town. And he approaches the Lord. Why is this a big deal? First, a centurion was a Gentile. His, he was the enemy of the Jews. Gentiles don't hang out with Jews. This was known in that time. Second, he was Roman military. Think about it. He's got his helmet on. He's got the Roman garb on. He's got his, his knife there. Is he coming to collect taxes? Is he coming to take advantage of somebody? What is he, what is he coming into town to do? He's standing there. There's a little Jewish town, and here's this Roman soldier walks up. They oppressed the Jews. He was a threat. Number three, what is he doing approaching Jesus? The disciples must have grabbed their swords, right? Oh, dang, it's about to go down. They're ready to fight. Remember Peter, when Jesus was being arrested, pulls out his sword and cuts off the dude's ear. Jesus is like, stop that. Picks up the guy's ear and puts it back on. True story. It's in the text. It actually says that. Look what this Gentile Roman soldier does. He says to Jesus this. He walks up to him, locks eyes with him and says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. He calls Jesus Lord. His first word to Jesus is Lord, a Roman soldier who does not respect Jews. Notice he doesn't call him teacher or rabbi like many others in the Gospels. He calls him Lord. And he actually does it twice in this text. This Roman is already submitted to Jesus as Lord. And he for sure understands lordship. After all, do they not have to call Caesar Lord? He is a Roman soldier. And here he is calling the Jewish carpenter from Nazareth Lord. Notice next, the centurion says, Lord, my servant is paralyzed and suffering. My servant? Does the Roman guard have a servant? Yes. This may be one of his slaves. We know that slavery was common in the Roman day. Maybe a boy who was born to his house in his servant or slave's family. But notice this Roman is thinking differently than most in his world. Slaves were good as dogs, carts, or property. They weren't seen as people. Why not just let the slave die and buy another one, which a, a good Roman would do? Why is this Roman running to Jesus, calling him Lord and pleading with him to help this boy? Why is he begging for a beggar? This man's heart was changed by God. He didn't look at the servants as his, in his home as servants anymore. They were family. And even if society called them that, he treated this family as one of his own. And if it was his own boy, he would have ran to Jesus. But he runs for this servant man's boy. This is my boy. This is my family. What changed this Roman's heart? Jesus. He humbled himself to come and beg the Lord for the lowly. He says, please, Lord, the boy is suffering terribly. He's paralyzed. He can't move. 
He's sick. He's laying in bed. Look what happens. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. He says, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. He says, Lord, I'm a boss in my world. And when I say to one of my guys, go, they go. When I tell them to come to me, they come to me, and he says, you're the boss. You're the king. You're the Lord. You just say one word, and it will be taken care of. Jesus looks this Roman soldier in the eyes and says, I will come to your home and heal him. Let's go. Jesus didn't hesitate to go into the home of a Gentile, which a Jew would have never done. And the soldier immediately says, no, Lord, I'm not worthy enough for you to come into my house. Jesus would say, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Jesus wanted to come over to the guy's house. This Roman couldn't, could, could see the depths of his sin, proclaiming, I'm not worthy enough to... For you to come to my home, my home is not prepared for a king. Jesus would let her say, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I have no place to lay my head. Let me stay at your house. It's perfect. I love the twin bed. The old couch is very nice. Actually, I like it. It's kind of worn in a little. Lazy boy recliner. Your cooking is great. Jesus just wants to come in and sit down and have a meal with you. He doesn't care about all the other junk. He just wants a relationship with us. Listen, when you own everything, you realize what is really valuable. People, relationships, love, peace. Jesus owned everything, yet only wanted relationships. He's like, I got the luxury couch in heaven. I don't care. Have you seen my bed in heaven? Have you seen my throne? I don't care. I want you. I'm coming to your home for you. I don't care about any of this stuff. I want relationship. I want to know you. The man says, I'm unworthy for you to come to my home, but if you will just say the word, if you will just give the command... I know he will be healed because I know who you are. Point number two, if you're taking notes, Lord, say the word, I know who you are. You're the king. You're the Lord. You can do anything. A Roman soldier is saying this. I know who you are. Even though all these people in Capernaum don't know who you are in this town, I know. I know who you are. Just say the word and he'll be healed. 
The soldier goes on to explain how he understands authority and the military, and with a single command, he can call one of his soldiers. With a single command, a general can send a thousand into war. So he says to Jesus, Lord, I know who you are. Just give the command. You're the general. Say the word, and I know he will be healed. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be light, and boom, the sun shows up. He just says it. He spoke the universe into existence. He can say, let there be light, and guess what? There will be light. Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, Jesus looking at this Roman, hearing these words, it says in verse 10, he marveled and said to those who followed him, who did he say it to? Not to the Roman. He says it to everybody standing around. They're all, Peter's got his, you know, he's got his sword ready. The crowd's gathering around looking. Is this going to be a brawl with one of the Roman soldiers? What's going on here? What's Jesus going to do? He's going to do a magic trick on him, you know? steal his sword and kick him out of this town. We want a political Messiah. Take him down. No. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to help him. Jesus heard this. He marveled and said to him, said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, With no one in Israel have I found such faith. What? All of Israel. The whole nation. All of the people of God. Jesus was surprised, moved, and blessed by his faith, and he points it out to the crowd. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who approaches him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We are told, if you seek me, you will find me. God tells us this, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And this Roman sought after the Lord, and he found him. He sought him with all of his heart, and Jesus answered him. This man, this Roman soldier, this centurion, listen family, he did not grow up like Paul the Apostle, studying the Torah. He didn't know the depths of the scriptures. He's not a Jew. You would think the more knowledge you have about God, the the greater the faith you would have in him. But for many in Israel, this wasn't the case. They knew who the God of the Bible was. But Jesus points out, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I seen such faith. They've gone to synagogue. They've gone to school growing up. They have learned the Torah, but they don't believe. They don't believe what they know. Remember, all of Jesus' disciples were standing right there. All of his followers right there. And he says, this Roman soldier has greater faith than anyone I've seen, including all of you in the crowd right now. That's what he's saying. They must have been shocked. This Roman soldier believes that with one command, Jesus can raise that slave boy to life, give him life. 
changed his life forever, and he was correct. Legacy, I'm so concerned for the church in this way. We, as an American nation, probably have more sermons under our belt, more Bible studies, more devotionals under our belt than any Christians in all of history. More books read. It's all right here, but where is our faith? We know, but we don't believe what we know. But if I know more, then I'll believe more, right? So why don't you believe what you know? God is not looking for how much you know. He's looking at how much you believe what you know. This man didn't have any sermons, maybe one, maybe two, yet he believed greater than everyone in Israel. If we would just believe the text, if we would just believe Jesus at his word, childlike faith wins again, because this is the whole gospel, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. God doesn't care how much you know if you don't believe it. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Simply believe God at his word with your whole heart, with your whole life. This is what we must do. I don't know what God is calling you to believe, but I would challenge you to take those steps and start believing him at his word. He wants to bless you. Is it a bummer to believe God at his word? Yeah, dumbest thing I ever did. No, it's a blessing. Is this your heart? Lord, say the word. I know who you are. You alone can heal me, take care of this situation, carry me through this season. I trust you above all. You are the king. One word is enough to take care of everything. I trust you. One word. I trust you. Verse 11, Jesus takes a moment to teach the crowd. He says, verse 11, 12, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. What? I want to sit next to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, sadly, into hell, it says, into the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What? Jesus, as he answers the centurion, takes a moment to point out that many will come from east to west and will make it to the feast in heaven. He's pointing out the Gentile who knows nothing about God like the Jew does, they will be saved. Jesus is pointing out that the many who claim Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their father and being a part of the Jewish nation, educated and trained in the Torah, will not make it into the kingdom without faith fully believing what they know about God. Instead, Jesus says, their salvation, there will be salvation in all peoples, not because of upbringing, not because of education of the Torah, but pure childlike faith in God. This is the prerequisite. This is the requirement to get into heaven. Believing God at his word fully. Abraham did it. Isaac did it. Jacob did it. David did it. And all of the apostles, including this Roman, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob looking towards Messiah, believing that he's coming. The apostles and us, the church, looking back to Messiah, already come. We have one thing in common, one common denominator. Do you know what it is? Faith. They had to look forward and believe that Messiah was coming. We look back and believe that he has come and that he has saved, that he has forgiven. We believe him at his word. It's the same in the Garden of Eden. Believe me at my word. If you eat of the tree, you'll surely die. Do you believe this? It's always been about this. It's believing God at his word. Do you believe God at his word? There will be salvation in all peoples because of Christ's work. Revelation 7, 9, it's heaven. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great number, multitude that no one could number in heaven from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, worshiping God. All people, all nations, all tribes, all languages, just blessing the Lord together. This is heaven. Jesus crosses all the lines and boundaries. He spits in the face of culture and says, you guys got it wrong. Let me show you how to love and serve your enemy. Verse 13, and the centurion goes, centurion and to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. As you have believed. As you have believed. Jesus points out, James would say you have not because you ask not. You don't have wisdom because you don't ask from heaven. Jesus was about to go to the man's house, but the Roman just goes for it and asks, Lord, if you just say the word, it would happen. And he says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. Amazing. Could Jesus have said no? Of course. But he chooses to say yes, and the same is true for us. Why not come to God with our whole heart, with all of our requests? Why, not, why aren't we in deeper relationship, talking to him about everything that we're going through, everything that we're working through? Lord, say the word. I know who you are. I believe you. Can you say no? Of course he can. But sometimes he likes to say yes. We need this kind of faith in the church again. We need these kinds of prayers, pure faith, trusting the Lord's response. Are you scared God's going to say no to you? That's why you don't go to him in prayer? Maybe no is the right answer that we need to hear. Are you scared that he might say yes? What are you waiting for? Didn't stop the Roman soldier. Who knows where this guy was living? He clearly wasn't living in the Galilee. He had to travel far away to get to this place. Our final scene change, still in Capernaum, final picture. Very short, very tight, very sweet. Matthew, verse 14, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. What? Peter has a mother-in-law? Surprise! Peter's married. The first pope was married. I'm sorry. And every apostle was married except for John. Pope, 
priests, maybe you guys should get married. You know, this is a... Peter's mother-in-law has a fever. Notice Jesus is not asked to heal her. You see that in the text? Take a look, Bible students. He, he's not asked anywhere. Jesus, come in here, please. My mom's sick. Nope. Jesus is not asked to heal her or come to the house. He just does it on his own. He's like, I oh, dealt with the Roman. I'm going to go get a, get a little falafel, get a little hummus. You know, I'm going to have some time eating some food. And then he's like, no, I'm going to go over to Peter's house. And he just walks over. He knows she's sick. He just does it on his own, which shows us the Lord does what he wants when he wants in our lives. We cannot command Jesus to do whatever we want. We can't. There is no naming it and claiming it here. There is no pushing and pulling God. We simply bring our request to him and let him finish the rest. We come to him with a pure heart, with a whole heart, believing him and trusting his response. And sometimes even when we don't ask, he just shows up in our lives and drops a blessing on us. Verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. She gets up and says, Lord, do you want a cup of coffee? I got some great soup stewing. Would you like some? A simple, quick picture given by Matthew. Couldn't she just have taken some Tylenol? Really? A fever? Break the fever. A small illness in comparison to a paralyzed person or leprosy. Now, isn't it a stark contrast? But Jesus takes time with this older woman and her small need. It was a big need for her. Small in comparison to everybody else. Jesus didn't care. Point number three, and finally, Jesus, the healer of all people. Jesus touching a woman would have been another big no-no when she is sick in the Jewish culture, but he does it anyways. He approaches the woman who in those days men would not do. He approaches the woman, goes into her house, lays his hands on her, and heals her. Jesus is letting outsiders in his culture, the leper, the Roman soldier, the older woman, the ones no one would ever touch. He takes time to love, serve them, and touch their lives. I love this. Galatians 3.28. A verse to wrap all of this up. Turn your ears on. Don't miss it. Are you ready? A verse for our culture. Get ready. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. There will be no arguing in heaven over who God loved more. There will be no arguing in heaven about who had more sin. All will be forgiven. All will be made whole. And so church, stop arguing with each other. We've got plenty of those to come. Let's get on loving and serving each other and taking time to understand one another. Jesus took time with people that nobody would take time with because they were the enemy. We've got to change the narrative of our culture through the power of Christ. I'm not strong enough to do it. I can't do it. I need him to work through me to have patience with this atheist dude at the, at the counter. And I just be like, forget you, dude. Get out of my face. Carry on. Go to hell. 
This is what the world does. Lord, grant me patience. Help me to help this person. They're being a jerk. They're being mean. They're being arrogant. They're coming after me. Lord, give me grace to love and serve them. I believe by the power of God, Peter, his name was Peter. He'll never forget that conversation ever for the rest of his life. We have to figure out how to start living this way and taking time to do this in our culture. The text goes on to close saying that Jesus healed everyone who was brought to him, including demon-possessed people. I'm not touching that crazy. Jesus says, bring them on in. Crazy is great. You fit the criteria. Sinner in need of a savior. Let's stop condemning people to hell and start loving and serving them. Love your neighbor. It's the most powerful thing you could ever do. It is the the way we show the world that we love God. Amen? He took our illness and bore our diseases. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray. Lord, you know us, you know our sin, you know our heart, you know our minds. Lord, if you will, say the word. Let us be cleansed of all unrighteousness. Let us be forgiven of all of our sins. Would you heal us of our leprosy? Would you heal us of our cultural problems? Would you help us to see like you do? Would you help us to love and serve like you do? Would you resurrect us to life? Lord, we acknowledge our sin. We know where we have failed, and we know that we need you to save us. We can do nothing like the leper. We can't make ourselves whole. We can do nothing like the Roman. We we don't have enough power to make it right. We don't have enough money to make it right. We are an old woman laying in bed who cannot even overcome a fever. But you, Jesus, take time with us. And so, Lord, we call upon you now to be saved, saved from whatever is going on in our lives. Speak the words, Lord, and we will be healed. Speak the words, Lord, and we will have new sight, new ears, and new heart. Rip out our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. Resurrect us, raise us to life. Help us to love and serve our neighbor right here in this place. Help us to bring you glory with our lives, change our ways. You are the Lord, you are the Savior, you are the one. We will follow you all the days of our lives. We repent of our sin, turn away from it, and turn to you with all of our hearts now in this moment. We do it in Jesus' name, amen, amen.